If you're new with us, we're a church here. We, we believe in uh, God. Uh, we believe that he is triune. We believe that there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that he sent his Son. Uh, his Son came and lived a life we could not live and died a death that we deserve um, and offers new life through his resurrection uh, that we, we can't obtain uh, only by through faith, um, that he changes lives, and we want people to know him. So we have a purpose here. We want, we want people to follow Jesus. We want, him, we want to develop devoted followers of Jesus. We want to help people to grow to maturity in what they believe and how they live. Uh, put in a different way, we want people to know Jesus. We want them to follow him, and we want them to share, share him with, our, with their lives. Um, and so we've, this is what we do. We gather together, we look at his word, and we want to, want to see how that impacts and interacts with our life. Um, and uh, so this week we are... We are Closing up this series here, uh, this short series, and we're going to look again at what God has called me to do. What is God's will for my life? So uh, if you have your Bibles, um, I'm going to be mostly in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, before I get there, I just want to remind you, last week uh, we, were, we were looking at this, this passage, and um, we noticed, and I kind of made a point, that God's will... Uh, for our life is, um, is that every believer, uh, okay, I guess, well, I define will as the outworking of a desire in a particular sphere, but I came to the point that, that every believer is called um, to invest their life in a way that reveals the character and nature of God. That in Genesis chapter one, um, which we'll read in a moment, there's a, this concept of, of being made in the image of God, and then the first command there is to be fruitful and multiply. And that God wanted his image across this entire earth. Uh, and the fall came, and it broke that, right? We are still made in the image of God. Every single person, uh, every single one, one who breathes here has, has inherent dignity in their life because they're made in the image of God. That's why we support things like Door of Hope um, and we're, we're calling uh, our, our people here, we're calling each other here to, uh, to invest in the mission that the Door of Hope has, uh, to serve people, to support people, to save lives uh, because they're created in the image of God. Uh, that that call is working out through sin um, and it's shattered, it's broken, there's, there's brokenness everywhere, but God is, there's people all over this globe. Uh, we just keep on reproducing because that's what God wants. But there's a deeper meaning, there's a deeper uh, understanding of what God wants in that, and it's found in Jesus, that he is the image of God, that his church uh, is called to reflect who he is, uh, that we, we have an uh, opportunity uh, to live out lives that, that reveal his character and nature, um, and that we have an opportunity to reproduce other people uh, who have been brought out of death into life. Uh, and there's, a, there's a, a reproduction there that God is intending for his creation and his people. Um, we're going to look at the second part of that uh, verse. So if you have your um, Bibles open, um, and I'm going to bring out this next point. I, and I'm just saying this because I don't know, I can't remember what I did in my PowerPoint here. Um, no, right, yeah, verse right there. So um, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created his man in his own image, and in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's two commands in that verse. We looked at that first command last week. That second command is what? Subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That's one command. Subdue the earth and have dominion. What does God mean by that? Well, I think he means that God intends people um, in his call to subdue the earth, it's a call to reveal his creative and compassionate nature to the earth. This is where I'm going. This is my main point, and I'll try to argue exactly why I mean what I mean by that. That God's call to subdue the earth is a call to reveal his creative and compassionate nature uh, to the world. So, there's a couple of questions we, if anyone who's reading this, uh, if you're reading it and thinking, um, should come to mind. Uh, namely, when God says this here, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, why does God call Adam and Eve to subdue an earth that was created in perfection? Right? We talk about the Garden of Eden, that's paradise. Why, why does God, because they knew he would sin? Well, in part, but this is before sin happened, right? Fill the earth, subdue it. What does the word subdue mean? Take care of, bring under control, bring order out of chaos, right? If, if things are perfect, we wouldn't think that they would need to be worked and subdued, right? And in, in my mind, I feel like if everything's perfect, it's all it's all set, it's working, it's a well-oiled machine. Like, I don't, I don't need to force anything into where it needs to be. But that's not what God called men to do. God, God called men to go out and subdue the earth, which meant that the earth was not fully complete in his plan of what he wanted it to be. Uh, there were rose bushes overgrown. Um, there were dandelions that need to be pulled out. Um, there were trees that needed to be pruned. There was things that were out there that needed to be created or subdued or brought back into some kind of design and order. Interesting, right? So when we talk about God creating the world in perfection, um, especially in the Garden of Eden, he, he, he created it good. He created it for his purposes and his design. His design was that it would be left in a way where mankind needed to subdue it. His purpose for, the crea- for creation was that man would go and fashion it into something good. See that? It's kind of similar to who God is. Like you go back in the very beginning of Genesis, first page of your Bible. Well, not really the first page because the first page usually has like Name, date, and then you got a couple pages with some books there. But first page of the book, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Right, so right there in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and then the earth was without form and void. Those words there in Hebrew are tohu, havohu. 
Uh, it's only used one time in the same connection in one other verse in the entire Bible. And if you're wondering where that verse is, I'll tell you. Um, Jeremiah 4, 23. What's going on in Jeremiah 4, 23? You can turn there and look at it if you want. I'm just going to reference it. Um, well, in Jeremiah 4, 23, God is looking over Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, and seeing the aftermath of Babylon coming and destroying the nation. And he's using poetic language that connects back to creation to say, I've hovered over and I saw the earth, the mountains were quaking. There was, it was like, like the light had been taken out was really what the, the word, the, the Hebrew phrase says. And it was, a, it was formless and void. And depending on your translation, you, may see a, you might see a desert wasteland. Really, the words there are like connected to, it's hard to, to really define, but they're connected to chaos, emptiness. Uh, you could almost say like a wreck and a ruin. It was chaotic. And God's spirit is hovering over this chaotic earth that he just created out of nothing. And what does he do? He says, let there be light. He said, let there be a, a separation from day and night. Let there be a separation from land and water. Let me build a garden. Let me put living creatures in there. And he starts fashioning things in there. So in the chaos, in, in the wreck, in the ruin, in the formless, in the void, he starts creating. And then he says to his people, you are my image, I created you in my image. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and I want you to fill this earth and I want you to subdue it. I want you to take the raw materials of this earth I want you to take them and I want you to fashion them into something that's beneficial for other people. I want you to work in a way that takes what is out there and it becomes a good thing for the rest of my image bearers that are around this earth. And I think any of us who have owned property, um, have a house, can understand what this is like. Right? You can just let your property go Storms come in, trees get knocked down, branches go, grass grows up, everything gets all wild and crazy. And in a few hours work, you can go back and you can clean up those branches, you can mow the grass, you can make it nice and pretty, and it's, it's pleasurable to be around that. There's a, there's a joy that you get um, in finishing that work. Uh, it's, it's almost instant gratification. Just take a mower. It's done. And there's a stewardship that happens in that property that is, is, is good. It's what God's calling people to do. Right? God created this earth not in perfection, but he created it in potential. And he left that potential for his, his image bearers to fashion for the good of people. The call of man to subdue the earth is a call to take the raw material that God has given and fashion it into something that creates value and benefit for other people. Um, I love how um, Tim Keller defined work. He says this, he says, he says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general 
and people in particular thrive and flourish. Read that again. Rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. See, God wants us to partner with him in his plan. Work is good. Work is a part of his design for us. His desire is that we are creative. We reveal that aspect of his nature around us. Um, we're called to create value in this world. You know the definition of business, like if you boil it down, most of you probably know this because a lot of you are business owners, uh, but the major definition of business is that you, well, you got to have a market, that market needs a problem, and then you got to provide a solution to that problem that actually fixes the problem. And then you have a business, right? So, uh, problem. It gets hot inside of a building at summertime. Well, solution. Let's get cool air in that building. Okay. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, if I take these coils and I put them up and I get this stuff rolling around and I make this machine, I can actually blow cold air into the building. What do we have? HVAC. Do you like it? Yes, it's awesome, especially after last week, um, where maybe some of you didn't return because uh, it was too hot in here. The AC is back on for all of you guys on live stream. Uh, it's nice and comfortable in here. Um, but that's a good thing, right? thing. It's something that providing a good benefit for people. It's in some respects, a holy thing. It's good. We're called to do this, all of us. We're called to step into this chaotic world and create value for people uh, and, and reveal the, the creative nature of our God. And there's so many different opportunities to do this. So many creative people. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for the person who invented AC. I'm so grateful for the person who decided, you know what? Those computers, they're huge. Take up a whole room, takes up a lot of energy. I wonder if we can shrink that down, make it into a personalized thing. Then someone, then someone did it and it was awesome. And then someone else goes, you know what? I wonder if we could take that and then we could just put it in our pocket. That'd be really cool. And now all of us are benefiting from something like this. And then someone else goes, hey, that's cool. There's a, there's a computer in your pocket. I've got this map in my car. It's, it's, it's hard to read while I'm driving. I end up running into telephone poles and stuff like that. And um, maybe it'd be nice if I had something that would tell me where I needed to go without needing a co-pilot. And it just talk to me, I can, I can drive and fun. And someone created Google Maps, right? Or MapQuest or whatever GPS it is. And all of us use that. I mean, well, most of us. Some of you guys are just a little out there um, and want to just be old school and use your maps. Um, but there's all these great things that have been created that benefit people. And it's a good thing. 
I'm not saying all these people who created these things are Christians and all these things have always been used in good, God-honoring ways, but at their basis, they are created and used for a good, pur- for a good purpose, benefiting society, benefiting God's people, creating order out of chaos, subduing the earth. I, uh, I, uh, when we used to live in Nebraska, I was just, I was marveled at this guy uh, who was a farmer who could just think of ways to do things. And I came over to his house one time and the guy was uh, showing me this, this contraption tool he made. He just fashioned, took some pieces of metal and just hammered them out, put them together. And he's like, look at this. And I'm like, what in the world is that? I was like, oh, this is a tool that I made to grab this piece of uh, my pump that fell down my well that I wasn't able to retrieve. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I was 20 feet down the well. I didn't know how I was going to get it. So I made this little thing that put on this piece of string, went down, got around the pipe. And when I pulled on it, it clamped against it and then pulled it out. Like, that's amazing. How, how does someone think of doing and just fashion it? Like, I'm checking Amazon for something like this. I'm not like putting this thing together, right? And God has created each of us with those kind of minds, desires, passions, and they're good. You with me here? I don't know if I need to belabor this point anymore. Right? The work that believers do is is a means to reveal the nature and the character of God. The work that believers do is a means, or are a means, I, I don't know what the correct grammar is there, um, to reveal the character and nature of God. Like normally, work is something that you do to receive something, right? I work so I can get a paycheck. That's typically how I think about what I do. I, not, well, not me now, but most people, right? I go into work so I can get a paycheck, so I can buy things for me, for my, my stuff. When someone comes to know Jesus, that takes on an entire new meaning. It takes on an entire new idea of what my vocation is. If you've been here with us long, I've been trying to get this over and over and over in our minds. Ministry is, is, is the rhythm we're called to walk in. It's a privilege of every believer. We are called to live out our lives so people know Jesus. We have opportunities to share who he is. We do that in our temperament. We do that with our talents. We do that with our treasure. We're called to do that with our work. We're called to be redemptive in what we do so that we're revealing who God is to this world around us. And God needs people who are thinking with that mind frame and walking in life, doing their work so that God is revealed through them. It's actually his will for us to hold a job. If you have your Bibles, I'm, actually, I think I'm going to put this up here. First Thessalonians, um, if you can read that. First Thessalonians 4, uh, 10b, or 10 to, 10 to 12. Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, and he's, he's describing their, the will of God for them. Um, and actually, right before that, um, in verse 3, he says, This is the will of God, uh, that you, for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he talks a little bit, and then connects this statement with that same statement. So part of God's will for the Thessalonians is saying this, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more, 
to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So you may, may walk properly before outsiders dependent on no one. What's God's will for my life, Paul? Well, I got two things I want you to do. All right, I'm going to write them down. I'm good. Listen, you listening? Yeah. Uh, abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, that seems legitimate. Work quietly with your hands and don't be dependent on anyone. But that's it? Yeah, that's, that's it. Work quietly with your hands. Don't be dependent on anyone. You, well, you mean I, I, I don't need to, I'm not called to go in and, and create this big giant, uh, build a revival tent and, and get a YouTube following and, and start proclaiming all this? No, work quietly with your hands. Be an example to the people around you. Work. Do, good do a good job with what you're doing. And don't be dependent on other people. That pretty, seems pretty simple, right? This is a refreshing, this is good news. I think oftentimes we overcomplicate what God wants us to do with our life. We go through and go, man, I, I can't figure out God's will for my life. Well, what do you like? What do you enjoy doing? What do you, what do you like doing? Well, I like computers. Cool. Yeah, I'm really, really fun to program things and make them, make them happen. Awesome. Do that. Do it good. Do it with integrity. Do it with a life that is not bolsterous and, and, uh, and complaining all the time and gossiping about people, creating, causing all this intention. Just do it well. And do it so that you can be a, someone who's not dependent on the society, but who's independent who's able to, to give, able to serve people around you. God does have a plan for our lives, every single one of them. But that plan is much broader and sweeping than we can ever realize. And he wants to use every aspect of your life for his glory, even the mundane, simple things as working, creating an income, living, paying your bills. This is, I mean, you could just translate that differently. Paul, what's my will for my life? Pay your bills. His desire is not that we would just lay on the couch and watch Netflix for the rest of our life and just hope that our parents live as long as we do. Wait, and I'm not saying that there's not people who need help, right? There are people who are disabled. There are people who can't provide for themselves. Uh, some of them are my children. I provide for them. There are adults who have a difficult time creating an income, who have whatever circumstance happens, they, they need help. We are there to help them. But for most of us, we can, we can support ourselves. We can work. We can do things that help to create an income. Actually, we can use our creativity to create businesses that create income for people who typically can't create income for themselves. 
There's a guy who graduated from Dallas Seminary. I met him while I was, while I was there in school. Went and got his THM, which I can attest is a lot. It is a lot of work to do. And after he got it done, he realized, I don't think I want to be a pastor. I, but I really, I really have a passion and a heart for kids with Down syndrome and autistic kids and the people who are left out. And I really like ice cream. <laughs> and so, you know what he did? He created a business called Howdy Homemade Ice Cream. I think that's what his name is, yeah. Howdy's Homemade Ice Cream. And um, he created this thing, and his, his passion was to hire kids with Down syndrome and kids with autism. And that's the only people he's going to employ in this place. And he put it in University Park, Dallas, which you don't know anything about that unless you used to live there. It's a, it's a high-end area of Dallas. And they were, business flew off. They started franchising, building extra locations. And he learned that these kids, it was building in their self-esteem. They loved what they were doing. They could take some, some few routine tasks um, and do it really, really well. The customer service was through the roof. Um, and he was creating value and benefit for people. That was ministry. That was good. He saw a problem. He came up with a solution and God empowered him to do that. And I think there's so many people who get confused at the Christian life as if I need to go into school to be a minister. And I was surrounded by people in four years in undergrad, four years in seminary, who were like, man, yeah, I really love rocket ships. I love science. But God's called me to be a pastor, so I got to go, go do this thing. I was like, well, does, has he? Like, I really love landscaping, design. It's like an awesome thing. I, I enjoy sitting on the mower. I enjoy mowing. I enjoy designing things. I enjoy making things pretty and beautiful, but I think I'm called into ministry. Well, are you? Maybe that's your ministry. Maybe you can create a business. Maybe you can create something for someone who doesn't know how to do that. Uh, maybe you can design something that's beautiful that, that you can look. I mean, look at this. Somebody has a gift with this. It's starting to die here and there. So, I mean, a deadhead, but it's, it's beautiful. And, it, and it, it adds to the value of what's going on. It's, it's pleasurable to see. It reveals God's nature. And God's wanting to use you, what, not use. I don't, I don't like using the word God wants to use you. Because that's, that's just not good. It's not right. God's not an abuser. He's not like making you do. He wants to work with you and partner through you. To make a, a major impact in a way that you don't really even understand the full ramifications of it, right? I mean, we could start going through all these things that we know of. Like when I was in Dallas, Uber Eats, that started there. Someone's like, hey, we got GPS, we got people driving cars, we got food, why don't we put it all together and we can get it at someone's house in 10 minutes or less for about the same price as they can go to eat. Well, that's pretty cool, that's awesome, it was awesome. Then the pandemic hit. Then it became DoorDash, you know? 
And that became a good thing for people when we couldn't go out. And most of you who uh, never learned how to cook were like, I'm not sure how I'm gonna survive this pandemic. COVID's not getting me, uh, starvation might. And it's a good thing. God needs his people in the marketplace. God needs his people stepping into difficult situations, seeing problems, and providing God-honoring, God-pointed solutions to them. And this is not just like subdue ground, okay, subdue some problem and whatever. This encapsulates everything. Governments are good things. Now, I guess I'll, you know, make a little caveat, right? They are, they are good things. They, are they always good things? No. But having a system and organization and structure to organize people together and, and to create boundaries in society to keep people safe, to protect people, good thing, right? Um, we need people in government, helping to keep it from becoming something that's enslaving of people and abusing of people, but rather being benef benefiting people. Do you get where I'm going here? God is, God is allowing you in his will to be creative. He's allowing you in his will to go out and do something that you enjoy. And, and to be okay that you just work a regular job. God's not disappointed that you're not doing some kind of crazy thing. Unless you know in your heart you should be doing something different. But there's any question that like, I get up at 4.45 in the morning and I go to, my, go to my work and I work and I come home at 3 and I take care of my kids and I play with them and I, I you know, am I doing what God wants me to do? Yes, you are. It's a good thing. God wants us to step into the chaos of this world, create order. God wants us to live quietly with our lives, to be a, a, a representative of him in places where people are. And people are where businesses are. Because businesses don't survive unless they're interacting with people. Because they typically want to get money from people for the solution for the product that they created for the problem for the marketplace. And when people are Christians and they're living and they're in that place, they are now interacting with other people and having opportunities to share the hope and the life and the faith that they have. And those opportunities become more strong when we exemplify the peace and hope and the love and the patience that God is working out in us. And it's every single sphere. Um, so, what do we do with all this? Right? If, if uh, our work is to reveal God's character and nature, what do we do? Um, well, I just think we invest our lives so that God may be made known. Invest your life so that God would be made known. You can phrase this in a ton of different ways. I want to leverage my life for the glory of God. 
I want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Similar things. But it's a mindset, it's a mind frame, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shift in my paradigm when I understand that every aspect of my life, God wants to use for his glory and our good. That there's no division between what's sacred and what's secular. That the, that the church doesn't just stop at the door of this building. That the, the sacred spills out into marketplace. That it's, it's a sacred thing for me to take all materials of earth and subdue it into something and fashion into something that's good for mankind. I have no idea how the program I, I would not be a good IT person. But there are people who love it and do it well. And I'm grateful because I can text my wife. I have no idea how to fix an HVAC system. But we are all grateful that the guys we hired to do that have fixed it. Right? God wants us to invest our lives. Right? You know that God... God is not primarily concerned with what you do. I was going to say I was being more specific. I'm, uh, I am being a little bit more specific than I was last week, but I'm not going to tell you each person, uh, you know, Ken, this is God's will for your life. Uh, Dave, this is God's will for your life. Um, uh, Imola, this is God's will for your life. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't know. God's not completely primarily concerned with it. We talk about God's will, it's not like God has us on this one like singular path that we have to walk down and be anxious about trying to figure out. He put man in the world and said, go and subdue it. Blank canvas, start painting. Find something that you, that you enjoy doing and, and follow through with it. But don't do it for yourself. Do it with a, with a, with a mindset that says, I'm, I'm working for the glory of God. I'm working for the Lord. My wife's leaving because there's a play afterwards. Um, but that's a good thing, right? Encore. I don't know if you know about it. After here at 1230, which I'll end 1215 or so. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 1230, there's a play. They're having lunch. It's a free lunch. You're inviting to go see it. It's Mary Poppins. Not an overtly Christian thing, right? But people love the arts. There's a member of our congregation who loves putting on plays. What does it do for kids? It creates relationships with kids. It helps them train and learn how to, a craft. Uh, it gets them out of their comfort zone and into something that they're, they're coming out of their shell, being confident, right? And, and it's fun, and you get to laugh at things that are intentional in the play and things that are not intentional in the play. <laughs> and all of it creates joy. And what is that doing? It's revealing God's char creative character and nature. It's, it's not complex. It's simple. 
It's not complex. God needs lawyers. God needs uh, congressmen. God needs airport technicians. God needs us stepping into the hard work that's out there. And if ever there were a time, the time is now when there's a chaotic environment around us and we need to come in and step in and create some order out of chaos, to create value for people out of what's absolutely insane. Because it is insane what's happening in our school system, what's happening in our government, what's happening around us. It's nuts. But it's not something we're called to walk away from or hide. It's called that we're something to walk into. Say, okay, Lord, what, how can I fix this? How can you fix this? How can I be a part of it? How can I use and steward my life so that people, because I know that the hope of the world is Jesus, and it's not going to get fixed with programs or legislation of morality. It's only going to get fixed by people coming into a real relationship with Jesus and being changed from the inside out. So how can I steward my life so that people might know Jesus? Maybe I could think, hey, Lord, can you just, this one year, I got one year, I got 365 days, and I just want you to do one thing for me. Allow me to walk one person into the kingdom. Give me one opportunity this entire year to share the gospel and let me see someone come to Jesus. What would happen if every single one of us here did that? What would happen? Church would double. Okay? Would multiply. What if we just decided every year we're going to do that and we're going to trust the Lord and we're going to pray a prayer and expect that he's going to come through? What would happen five years from now? This church would turn into 11,000 people. Isn't that, that's, isn't that crazy? We'd have to have two services. We, we, no. <laughs> we, we would have multiple churches because I can't manage that many people, so... Um. I don't need to be that famous. I don't need to be famous. I'm just, this is, this is, this is what happens, right? And we think we got, in two miles, we have 58,000 people and 31,000 of those are completely un unaffiliated with any religion. In just two mile radius. That's not even touching University of Delaware. In our mind, we're just thinking, Lord, one person, one person. Let me steward my life. Let me work my job. Let me, let me live out my life in my profession, which I will say is almost, it's more difficult to do than what I'm doing in my life. I have been more ministered to and blessed by a businessman than I have been by pastors. Close friend of mine who has, he's in business. I mean, he's been successful. Up and down, up and down. I've seen crazy things in his life. And I've seen him work for customers at a loss. Because something happened and he gave his word and he's fulfilling it. I've seen him work with customers who decided to short him. And he had every right to go through and go through all the legal processes. He says, you know what? It's, Lord's, it's in the Lord's hands. I'll let him judge. I'm like, man, that's like, that's $20,000. That's not a small amount of money. That's, it's in the Lord's hands. I'm fine. I'll continue doing what I'm, what I'm doing. And I see this guy, 
multiple times. And like real money disappearing. And I'm thinking like, man, that's, that would be hard for me to digest. And it's like he's not even skipping a beat. God's been so gracious and so kind. And you just start seeing like, man, that's what it means to live for Jesus. You actually trust him. You're independently dependent on him. It's because God's not primarily, doesn't really care what you do. It's not, or not, that's probably not the right way to say that. He's not primarily concerned with what you do. He's primarily concerned about what you become and what you do. He wants us to use our life as the game board of where our faith is worked out. He wants to take those interactions. He wants to see, I mean, we talk about one, reaching one person a year. What, what else would happen if the people on your staff or the people in your business just became your little church that you're going to start praying for by name? I'm going to spend time praying for Susie and Jim Bob and Ralph, and I'm just going to pray for them. They don't even need to know about it. I'm going to look at massive upsets around life as opportunities for God to display his glory. So, what does God will for my life? By doing good, you should put silence, ignorant, foolish people, working quietly with your hands, abstaining from sexual immorality. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Find something that you like to do and do it for the glory of God. And understand that he approves of you. He loves you. And if it's not his will, he'll move you. Right? Is it God's will that you're here today? Yeah. You're here. I'm here. Um, is it God's will for you to go watch a play afterwards? Yeah. It's just uh, <laughs> if you show up. Um, man, God, God can do so much. He's just asking us to trust him. Be dependent on him. Walk with him. Trust in his sovereignty no matter what comes. And use our life. Leverage what we have, what we do for his glory. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your patience and your kindness. We thank you that you love us. That you have designed good things for us to do. That you're pleased when we take what you've created we fashion it into something good. You're pleased when we look at chaotic situations. We try to bring order out of it and benefit for people. Well, give your people here a refreshing vision for who you've created them to be and what you've called them to do, whether they're in high school or they've been long since retired. Lord, we're not called to quit until you bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our last song?